Thank you, Ben, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here and worship with you and bring the word. Uh, it's I just love, he's, he's right, I'm a little crazy, but I just love church planning. I particularly love the early stages of church planning, the gathering stages, and I know it's a lot of work. I know it's exhausting, but um, so many sweet memories in these, these, these early stages. It's like having children. It's hard. It's physically exhausting, and you wonder, when will this stage ever end? And then your kids get a little older, and you go, oh, I miss that. And so uh, try to savor what the Lord's doing here at New City. It's a pleasure for us to be able to be here and worship with you. And as Ben said, I, I, I previously was in Montgomery, Alabama. Don't be confused. It's not M-O-N-T. It's M-U-N-T, Montgomery, Alabama. That's how you have to say it if you're in Montgomery, Alabama. And I was actually there for 17 years. Seven of those years, I planted a church, and the rest, I was doing youth ministry and a lot of fun stuff like that. And... Um, it, it was it was a little bit different going to Montgomery, Alabama, and and really kind of coming into Southern culture, because as you may know, the Florida is not the South. I know we're the most Southern state, but culturally speaking, it's not the South. And so when I moved to Montgomery, beginning to sort of interact with the Southern colloquial expressions such as sugar and honey. And baby, I'll never forget when the waitress first called me that. I thought she was kind of hitting on me. I was like, what? In the world? My, my, my wife was right here. But the one phrase that I, I was baffled by was the phrase, bless your heart, <laughs> right? Now, you may hear that, and someone may say, bless your heart, and you may think, oh, that's a term of endearment. They're, they're being kind towards me. Unless you're five or six years old and under, it's likely if they say, bless your heart, it's really the opposite. That's what I learned, okay? So, for example, uh, a, a woman wears a hideous dress, and another lady looks to her friend and says, bless her heart, you know? What does she mean by that? Well, she, she, she tried, but ew, that's, that's not working. Or uh, if you're in the classroom and, and you uh, ask the dumbest question ever, and despite the adage that there's no stupid questions... Uh, your, your classmate whispers under his breath, uh, breath bless his heart, uh, because that's just a silly, uh, foolish question. Or uh, maybe you're in the end zone, and the ball is coming right to you, and, and it just, you know, right there, you're about to score, and it hits your hands and bounces off, and the opposing fans laugh and snicker and say, bless him, uh, bless his heart. So, um, we're interacting with the, with the passage today that uses that word bless uh, and blessed. And much like that southern term, bless your heart, it can be kind of confusing. What in the world does it mean to be blessed? Uh, what does it mean to be the recipient of blessing? Because we're looking at this description of Mary uh, as we're in this Advent season, and we see several times Elizabeth and Mary herself uses that term bless or blessed. And uh, it poses a lot of questions that we want to interact with today. Um, There's definitely been no shortage of debate in church history over what does it mean for Mary to to be blessed. I'll spend just a moment on that. Uh, But even in our culture today, we're in the hashtag blessed culture, right? You go on social media and someone's got, you know, the, the, the nice clothes, the nice sneakers, and what do they say? Hashtag blessed, right? Maybe they have the, the boyfriend they've always wanted, hashtag blessed, right? Maybe they get an offer like these kids here, they, they get to go to a school, they get an offer, 
I'm so hashtag blessed, right? That's the culture that we live in. And so it gets really confusing. What does this practically mean for us today when it says, uh, when we understand the scriptures say that we are blessed in uh, the gospel and that God has blessed us? So those are some questions we're going to tackle. Let's go ahead and jump into our, our text today. Our text is Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to start in verse uh, 39, Luke 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, a baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord." And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation." He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and return homes, return home. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to keep them open because we'll be spending um, lots of time reflecting on a few of the verses here in this text. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful to be in your house today, to be able to worship you. I'm so privileged to be here with the New City family, and I'm grateful for their hospitality thus far. And Lord, what an incredible privilege we have to study your word Uh, We know that it is impossible for us to understand it unless you, Holy Spirit, illumine our minds and illumine our hearts and teach us, Lord. We're so thankful that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word abides forever. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would speak to us through your holy word, that we may see our sin, that we would understand suffering in the light of the gospel and understand the grace of the gospel even more. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so the question again is this, what does it mean to be blessed? Let me offer two thoughts for you this morning. The first one is you get grace. In order to be blessed, you get grace. You are a recipient of grace. The second one, and maybe a little confusing, is you get suffering. You're a recipient of suffering. So let's look at the first one, you get grace. And particularly, let's talk about two things, the favor on Mary, and then let's talk about the favor on me if we're a, a believer in Christ. The favor on Mary, Luke 1, 28, just prior to this passage, the angel comes to Mary, and he greets Mary in this terminology, greetings, O favored one. Okay, Your, another translation may be, blessed are you among women. 
Okay, so what we see here is that we begin to try to understand the, the, the context here, this language, O favored one, blessed are you among women, that in order to be uh, blessed, you are a recipient of favor, the recipient of grace. Matter of fact, if you're using the ESV, greetings, O favored one, the root word there is Karen or Karis. Maybe some of you here have a child named Karis, or you know someone has a child named Karis, which means grace. Okay, so to be favored by the Lord is to be a recipient of his grace. Mary was favored by the Lord as the angel came to her. You have been graced. It's a passive, par- uh, a passive participle, meaning it's nothing she did. It was a gift to her. She was gifted and made acceptable. This is the same language that we see in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, for Noah prior to the flood, uh, Noah was one who um, found favor or care and grace in the eyes of the Lord. But looking at our text today, Luke 1, 42, you see this same language. Blessed are you among women, Elizabeth says to Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, this is a little bit different word than the charis and the karen, but it's, it's the word we get eulogy from. You know, if you do a eulogy at a funeral, you are, you are remembering the person or you're giving thanks to God for that person, that person's life. Okay? So it's an honor. It's a giving thanks. I'm giving honor and thanks to you, Mary, because the fruit of your womb. And I would just say this is where Roman Catholic theology gets uh, confused because we've all heard the translation, Hail Mary, which we get the idea of a Hail Mary football throw, right? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Uh, that phrase, full of grace, uh, is a mistranslation of what we're talking about here. In the Latin version of the Bible in the Vulgate, it was a mistranslation, and even the Roman Catholic scholars would agree that it was a mistranslation, a confusion that Mary had this innate grace within her versus a recipient of grace. And so this phrase, favored one, again, it's a passive participle. It's something that was received, right? It refers that that, that, uh, grace that Mary had was given by God versus Mary uh, uh, distributing that grace. one, one, One person said this, Mary was a recipient of grace, not a repository of grace. Now, Let's get away from, from the, the technical and let's just look in the passage here. How does Mary herself talk about this idea of her own uh, uh, standing in the grace? Mary says in Luke 1, 46 and 47, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's not magnifying herself here. She's not saying, look at me. Of course God would choose me. I should be glorified. I should be uh, Magnify. No, she says, glory to God. My, my soul magnifies the Lord. Well, and then she goes on to say here that for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You see, Mary understood that she didn't deserve this grace and this gift of grace that she received to be the mother of Jesus. Mary understood that she was from Nazareth, right? The one cow town, Right? Small, rural town filled with the poor and filled with the peasants. 
remember when Jesus was calling his disciples and Philip goes get, gets Nathaniel and he says, we have found the Messiah and it's Jesus of Nazareth. What does Philip say? What? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? This is where Mary was from. This was the least likely place that the mother of King Jesus would come. She was a poor, unimportant female in a culture that already marginalized women. Martin Luther had a great uh, um, phrase about, about Mary and, and this gift of grace. Martin Luther said that God could have gone to Jerusalem and picked out the high priest's daughter, Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair and rich and clad in gold embroidered raiment and attended by a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. Kent Hughes says this, that, that Mary was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. So Mary got it. She said, <laughs> she said, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I am no one. So that begs the question, why was Mary favored by God? Well, um, I have six kids, and, and, and one of my children, um, when they were young, around two, and they were getting in trouble, and I would look, look to them and say, why did you do that? And their answer would be simply, because. And I would say, because why? Because. you right. There was no qualification. It was just because. I don't know why. I just did it. Well, in one sense, I think about the gospel in terms of that. Why did God choose Mary? Because. It's nothing we do. There's no qualification within us that earns God's favor because of his mercy, because of his love, because of his his grace and his kindness. He chose Mary, and he put his favor on Mary, not because of anything that she brought to the table, but because of his grace. And because of that, she responded in faith. Look with me in Luke 1, verse 45. Elizabeth says this, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. God chose Mary. He put his grace upon Mary. He opened her heart, and he allowed by his grace for her to believe and trust in this promise in the Lord. This was her response. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, that's true for you, and that's true for me. That, 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 that when, what does it mean to be blessed that we are re- recipient of God's grace and favor upon us. And I don't know about you, but growing up, I didn't, I didn't fully understand that. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that I, I sinned, but I didn't, I didn't understand that sin originated within my heart. I, I think I've, I viewed that like I came into this world and I was basically a good person. And God brought me into this messed up world and I caught this epidemic of sin and therefore that was why I was a sinner. And I don't think I would ever verbalize it, but in my heart of hearts, I thought that I deserved the cross, that God should save me because he brought me into this messed up world until I began to really interact with the gospel and God's word. I began to understand that, no, sin originated within here in my heart, that I was culpable. And when I began to understand my sin and my unworthiness, the cross just magnified. And God's grace just magnified. For the first time, I'd sung amazing grace so many times. For the first time, I understood why God's grace was so amazing. 
Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how rich or poor, how beautiful or plain, how athletic or clumsy you are. There is no ability within you to gain the favor of the Lord. There's never a day you can stand on your own two feet of performance and say, God, of course, why you would choose me? Look at me. No. See, the gospel is, 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 is really right side up, but we say it's, it's, it's upside down. It's the weak. It's God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Right? In the gospel, you have to go down humility in order to be exalted in God's grace. The first or the last and the last or the first. And so how do you respond? Well, it's my prayer this morning that you, if you don't know the beauty of God's grace and his favor, that you respond like Mary responded in faith. And what that is simply is just not trusting yourself anymore. It's so easy to say that I've got to earn, I've got to clean myself up in order for God to show favor on me. But God says, no, you can't clean yourself up enough to gain my favor. Come as you are and put your faith in me. Trust in the work of Jesus, my son, and his righteousness and not your own. Because the only thing that you offer to the table of salvation is your sin and your brokenness. Congratulations. But Jesus takes that and he transforms it into eternal life. And today can be the day of your salvation if you're here today and you're just exhausted and you've had enough of this performance stuff. Because that's the culture we live in. Jesus says, no, I want you to rest in me in faith. It also means gratitude. It also means that we, as believers, seek to live holy lives out of gratitude. Not because we're paying Jesus back for what he's done and sacrifices. Because we're so enamored by his grace and his favor that we can't help but want to uh, be holy and live um, godly lives. Now, does this mean our new life in Christ is, quote, too blessed? to be stressed, right? Have you heard that phrase before? I'm too blessed to be stressed. I was talking to someone the other day and asked, hey, how's it going? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Again, I don't really know what that means, but I know you have hard things going in your life, and that's true. You are blessed, but sometimes we can be confused and think, well, if I'm a Christian and I'm blessed and I have God's favor, then my life is just, I can't be honest and vulnerable about the difficulties I'm going through. So that brings us to our second point. What does it mean to be blessed? It's not only to get grace and favor of God, it's to get suffering. It's to get suffering. I read this horrifically sad story just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jake Flint, I don't know if you know that name, um, rising country music star, uh, died in his sleep just some hours after his wedding. Oh, just heart-wrenching. His wife, Brenda, posted this video on social media of them dancing at the reception, and she followed it with these words. We should be going through wedding photos, but instead I have to pick out clothes to bury my husband in. People aren't meant to feel this much pain. My heart is gone, and I just really need him to come back. I can't take this much more. I need him here. I mean, Brenda, just imagine, just hours before this happened, she was the object of, of, of her husband's affection. She was a recipient of his favor. She's dressed in her wedding dress. And, and in one sense, it's, it's a worship service, it's certainly about the Lord, but she felt pretty 
magnified in praise as, as, as the bride of this incredible day. And just hours later, she went from the pinnacle of her uh, best day of her life to her worst nightmare, to when she couldn't wake her husband up on the first day of the rest of her life together. It's, it's unfathomable, but it's so true. And y'all, this is the same for Mary. And this is the same for you and I. Because think about Mary, one who is recipient of God's grace. And Elizabeth, blessed are thou among women. And she feels the favor of God. She magnifies the Lord. It's the, the greatest moment in her life to carry Jesus himself. And some year to two years later, she's running away with her husband, away from Herod who is so angry that there was this rival king who came, he starts slaughtering children two years and younger. And Mary and Joseph are fleeing town, hearing the wails and the cries of mothers, losing their children, and they knew it's because of their baby Jesus. In order to receive the blessing of God, it meant that Mary would, ex- would experience suffering. That Mary and Jesus, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph, rather, as many of us know the story, would lose their 12-year-old son, right? This is the parent's worst nightmare. If you've ever lost your son for a minute or three minutes, they lose Jesus for three days, right? And they find him in, in the temple. And kids, if you've ever wanted to know where that phrase, uh, where, have you, where have you been? Your father and I have been looking for you everywhere. It came from here. Because that's what Mary and Joseph say to Jesus. Where have you been? What are you thinking? We've been looking for you everywhere the past three days. And Jesus simply responds, did you not know I must be in my father's house? Do you know how hard that would be to parent a teenager who is God? And they say that and you want to like come back and go, you're right. Right? Mary had to, to live with that and Joseph as well. And we can assume that, that Joseph died at an early age. Because after Luke 2, we have no record of Joseph. So we can assume that Joseph died at at, at an early age, that Mary went through the suffering of being a a young widow. Um, And because of that, there's lots of confusion about this miraculous birth of Jesus that neighbors often question, probably. We can see in the religious leaders questioned the legitimacy of Jesus. You know how hard that would be? How do you explain the virgin birth? John 8, 18, Jesus says his father bears witness about him. And the Pharisees question this. Oh, yeah? Where, where is your father? Right? Who is your father, Jesus? We know what people are saying about your mother. You know how difficult that would be for, for Mary and Jesus to be questioned about the purity of this birth? How about listening to what Jesus is preaching Luke 11, verse 27 says this, As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Moms, I know you feel underappreciated. The laundry, the diapers, teenage years, all those things, I know you feel unappreciated. And here's an opportunity where someone is praising Mary, and if at any point Jesus could say, you know what, Mom, Mary, let's just stand up. Let's just all clap, right? I want Mary to feel, you know, special because I love my mom. And how, what does he say? What does Jesus say in response? He says, no, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 
I mean, Mary knew his mission, but she's human. And that might have just, you know, smarted uh, uh, just a tad, right? And then, of course, Mary receives the apex of her suffering at the foot of the cross. John 19, verses 25 says this, But standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. Early on, when Simeon um, saw baby Jesus, young Jesus, he made a prophecy, and he said um, that a sword will pierce your soul. And here, Mary experiences the revelation come true. Mary's whole life is reflective of her name, Mara, which means bitterness. So yes, she received the grace of God and the favor of God, and it was incredible, but it also meant suffering, bitterness, suffering. And brothers and sisters, I know this is true for you and I in the Christian life. It's, there's no too blessed to be stressed. It means in order to be uh, a recipient of God's blessing, it means that we experience pain as well. And I know that Christmas can be a very difficult time. Because many of us have lost a loved one, and this may be the first year that that loved one's not at your table, and you feel that pain, you feel that suffering, you feel that bitterness. Uh, Maybe it's a wayward child that you long to come back to the faith or come back home. Maybe, Maybe your parents are divorced, and this is the first time you're splitting between one home and the other, and your, your friends are all having the hallmark picture Christmas, and you feel like your family is just falling apart. I know Christmas can be very isolating and, and sometimes feel meaningless when there's so much laughter and joy, and yet you feel so much pain. I want you to know that's normal. I want you to know that Mary understood that. I want you to know that Jesus himself understood that because why does God let his favored, those who he has graced, suffer? I can't tell you exactly why you're going through what you're going through. Only the Lord knows that, but I can say these things. Let me give you a couple things to to take home. One, it's not because God doesn't care about you. I can promise you that, that you can't say that God doesn't care. I know you feel that way, but we know that that's not true. Why? Because Jesus himself was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And Jesus himself experienced the pinnacle and the peak. Think about his baptism, right? This is my son who I'm well pleased, right? He goes from the peak of the beginning of his ministry right into the wilderness, right? Right right into suffering. Think about Jesus being on the Mount of Transfiguration where he is shining the glory of God and he's being praised. And this, once again, this is my son. He goes from the Mount of Transfiguration to the Mount of Calvary. My God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it means to be blessed, to receive the grace and favor of God, but also to receive suffering. And Jesus himself went to the cross to set us free from the brokenness and the suffering and the pain you're experiencing right now and save us from our sin. Jesus knows your pain. It's not because God doesn't care. And two, it's not a sick, twisted plan of this capricious God. Sometimes we feel like it is, that God is somehow playing this game of chess with us, and it feels like this suffering is a waste. It's somehow this sick plan. We know that from the Scriptures, Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, 
then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. What Paul says, listen, if you're going to share in the great glory and the favor and be exalted with Jesus and you're going to be seated with the Christ in the heavenlies, as Paul says, the path of that is suffering. The path of that is brokenness. That is, that is the design. You may be thinking, why? I don't understand that. Again, your particular, your particular case, I don't know what Jesus is doing, but I know it's not a waste because Paul goes on and says in Romans 8, 28 and 29, many of us know these verses, we know that those who love God, all things, all things work together for good, even our suffering. He doesn't say all things except for the hard things. No, he says, all things work together for good for those who are what? Who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Why? To be conformed to the image of his son. What Paul is saying is this. Everything that's going on in your life is for your good. It's for the glory of God. It's for your good. And it's for the very purpose of conforming you into the image of Jesus. And that's hard to understand at times. But that God is actually shaping you through your suffering. He's actually reshaping you into the glorious image, even a greater image, that you would look like Jesus. That you would actually really become human again, if you think about it. It's a silly little illustration story. I don't know if it's true, but it's about this guy who would create these most amazing, beautiful, intricate uh, wooden horse heads. You've seen these maybe go to the flea market or the side of the road or something. They would take, he would take this big, huge chunk of wood, right? And he would carve away and he would create these incredibly beautiful horse heads with all this detail. And people were just amazed at his skill. And one time, he, they, they, someone said to this guy, sir, how do you do this? How do you take that chunk of wood and turn it into something incredibly beautiful and glorious? And this simple country man said, well, I just cut away everything that don't look like horse. (laughs) Let me just tell you this. The knife of God's sanctification in your suffering hurts. I don't want to minimize that. The pain is real. But I promise you it's not wasted. Because what Jesus is doing through his spirit is he's using the scalpel of suffering and he's cutting away everything in you that doesn't look like Jesus. It's not wasted because one day you reflect the glory of Christ and you will be, look like him, the epitome of being favor and grace. But the path is suffering. Brenda Flint's words just resonate with me. I couldn't just get them out of my head. Brenda Flint, let me remind you, she said this, people aren't meant to feel this much pain. Amen, amen. God didn't create us to, to feel the pain. He didn't create us to die. He didn't create us to, 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 for the wages of sin is death. Because of sin entered in this world, it brought death and brokenness. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus not only came once to redeem us from our sin, he's coming back. And so when we celebrate Advent, we are actually looking forward to Jesus coming back in a second Advent and make all things new. Or as Samwise Gamgee says to, to Gandalf, will everything sad come untrue one day? Spoiler, yes. Jesus is coming back to make everything sad untrue. We sing joy, joy to the world, and I love the, the verse in that hymn. No more let sins 
and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, I want you to hold on to that truth that Jesus loves you and knows you, and he's entered into your pain. He's not distant, although he may feel distant right now. And he's coming back to make all sad things untrue and to remove the sting of death and defeat that final enemy, death itself. And everything will be made new. That's our exciting, glorious hope that we have as we long for his second coming. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have redeemed us. For those of us who are in Christ, that um, there's nothing so great about us. There's nothing great, period, about us that you would put your favor upon us. It's all by your grace. It's just because. It's because of your mercy. And Jesus, I just pray that we would rest in the glorious truth that we have your favor by your grace, and that would motivate us to be... um, Uh, your children who want to live holy lives for your glory. Um, And Lord, when we are going through the excruciating pain like uh, Brenda is right now, just two weeks ago, losing her husband, just hours after her death, we pray for Brenda. Lord, I don't know if she knows you, but I pray that you would put someone in her life to show her the glorious truth of the gospel. And Father, we all have experienced pain. And Lord, help us to see from your word that all things work together for good and that you are refining us and making us new and cutting away everything in us that don't look like Jesus. We love you, Lord, and ask these things in Christ's name.